Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota, Gulf Coast Business Supply, and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. Man, I really enjoyed that conversation with the alligator coordinator for the state of Mississippi as part of the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. It was interesting, though. You think about this alligator, you think of this this beast, this dinosaur that could be deadly. And just think that um, he might possess an article from like 1870 where someone on the coast might have been attacked by an alligator. But no other documented uh, situations like that. You get the sense that it's not like a crocodile that eats people. <laughs> you know, you hear about that. Or a shark that you know, obviously attacks people thinking they might be something other than a, a person. But when you think of an alligator, you think that it's going to be also equally deadly, and it's not. Um, 25% of the state's population of alligators is right down here in the, Miss, in the Pascula River basin, this incredible body of water and the ecosystem that exists there. I'm not surprised by that. As, as Ricky Flint said, there's this incredible ecosystem there that just breeds amazing alligators. Um, speaking of alligators, <clears throat> let's turn to my friend Jeff Duncan from The Athletic. He spent a lot of time in South Louisiana over the many years. You've seen a few, a few alligators in your day, haven't you, Jeff? Heck, heck, yeah, out on the water, you always see them. And to me, it's always a good sign as a fisherman if you're in alligator waters because you know there's fish there and you know they're not going to be in in empty waters. So to me, it's always a positive sign. And I've seen more than my share, fair share of them out on the golf course as well, Some of the, especially out of TPC of Louisiana. Yeah, he's talked about he talked about that that encroachment's an issue because we've we've done commercial development into their sort of ecosystem. And the one thing he said, actually, that the Mississippi River, the complex of the Mississippi River breeds some of the biggest alligators in the United States because the ecosystem there is so incredible. And they sit at the top of the food chain. So you have, you know, the, the, he said the plants are bigger, the fish are bigger, and so on and so on. As I described that, you know, you can't help but think about what you just said, that when you see alligators present when you're fishing, it means there's probably going to be fish there. And because they're at the top of the food chain, if there's not fish there, they're going to go find them wherever they are so you know that's a good sign one other one other quick kind of anecdote about about alligators in 2005 prior to hurricane katrina from time to time we would see a really large alligator near my house like 10 foot long um it would be like right before dark or early in the morning and every now and then but never like in the middle of the day i was on the phone with the publisher from columbus arranging our backup plan with Katrina bearing toward us. It was on the, on a um, Saturday afternoon before, you know, as you know, Katrina started to feel effects on Sunday and then into Monday, Saturday afternoon. So I'm on the phone Saturday afternoon, just, it was like early afternoon. And I look out to the Bayhead Swamp where we had seen this alligator before, and there it sat. I mean, it was just 10 foot long, came out of the Bayhead, Bayhead Swamp out into the bay, and I'm thinking, isn't that interesting? Never saw it under that circumstance, but it reminds me of, you know, how ants kind of, they sense that bad weather's coming and they do whatever they do. I think this alligator probably sensed that something bad was happening and it did whatever it was going to do. And we haven't seen it since. Isn't that interesting? We've seen smaller alligators, but haven't seen it since. Yeah. They, have, they sense it. I can remember being out on a lake fishing once and this uh, little flock of ducks came up near the boat. 
and they all took off immediately together at one point, Ricky. And, I, and me and my fishing partner were like, what was that all about? They just immediately bolted up. And then literally five seconds later, this alligator surfaced. Like They knew he was down there under the water. You're right. They sense things, these animals. And it's just fascinating to think about. It really is. It really is. So, hey, so what's fascinating to think about is watching the Saints in the off season because they don't have Drew Brees anymore. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, opportunities, actually, to see the team start to come back together again. We're going we're gonna to get into that before we finish this conversation for sure. But your story on Arch Manning finally hit uh, The Athletic. And as I mentioned to you, we I've seen it aggregated. Now, for people who don't know what that means, explain to them what aggregation means. Aggregation in the news world is when other news outlets – pick up your story and kind of uh, source it and write their own story based on your story, if you will. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but uh, for instance, on this Arch Manning story, it was a big story about his recruitment. So almost all these little uh, uh, in-house websites that cover the sports programs at, say, Alabama, Texas, Notre Dame, LSU, Ole Miss, all the schools that are considering Arch Manning, uh, they aggregate and repurpose their own stories based on what they read in my story from Arch Manning. So it's it's kind of a replication and goes. That's where you hear the term viral a lot of times. Uh, stories that go viral often are aggregated a lot. I saw what uh, one of the stories I saw was from I think a Giants beat writer in New York aggregated it. And what I mentioned to you off the air is that. It was like, okay, a typical aggregation would be just a little brief paragraph and then a link. But, you know, today there's a lot of liberty taken in in aggregation. It was almost like they stole the story from you. And then, oh, by the way, here's a link if you want to read the original story. But, you know, it's three or four paragraphs and then finally giving Jeff Duncan credit for the story that was written about in The Athletic and then sort of continuing from there. But, boy, people take they can take a lot of liberty. Liberty with an with a, an aggregation, can't they? I've seen some of them almost as long as the story that I've, I've written before. Uh, in this case, it wasn't, but you're right. And, and it's just amazing to me at such a young age, he's 16 years old, going to be a junior this fall, that there's already this much interest in him. Obviously, he's got the name Manning. It's a star power there. It's an incredible brand in football. Uh, but it is surprising to me just how much he moves the needle at such a young age. It's and for good reason, right? I mean, this this guy for at a young age is already setting records, and uh, there's every indication that he's going to be a special talent, isn't there? Yeah, I don't really see any flaws in his game, Ricky. I mean, he's obviously very smart. He's way ahead of his peers as far as knowing the game of football just by virtue of his, uh, you know, lineage. His uncles were uh, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. His grandfather was a great quarterback. His father was a great football player. He's been around the sport of football at a level that no one else, is, his own peers can only dream about. And uh, that's given him a head start. He's so advanced for his age. But then when you watch him play, you see the processing power of, of Peyton Manning, the poise of Eli, the running ability of Archie. I mean, old school football fans that remember Archie from his oldness and Saints days. I mean, he was a tremendous athlete that could run. And also, uh, you know, his father, Cooper, was a 
a tremendous basketball player. He was a wide receiver. He's a very good athlete. And so he has the athleticism of those guys combined with all the other skills of Eli and Peyton at quarterback. I mean, he's kind of a can't-miss prospect. Hey, you know, I saw a picture of Cooper recently uh, standing with someone I knew, actually. I forgot how tall Cooper was. Cooper is a – how tall is Cooper? He's a tall dude. Yeah, he's about 6'4", you know, close yeah. to 6'5". And, you know, Peyton, of course, was also about 6'5". And Arch is already – he's just a sliver under 6'4 right now. He's had a growth spurt in the past year, year and a half. Uh, so I think he's going to be right there before all said and done. And uh, he's starting to fill out his frame. He works out with a personal coach, uh, training coach. Uh, and this recruitment, I think the reason there's so much interest in it, other than his tremendous talent and, and the name recognition and star power that you get with getting a Manning in your program, is that he's completely wide open. And what I mean by that is he's got about 10 or 12 schools that he's really looking at. But of those 10 or 12 schools, he's pretty much wide open. He doesn't really have a favorite right now. He wants to go out and visit these schools this month. He just got back from Clemson where he got an offer. He's going to go to Texas and SMU uh, this weekend and then on to, uh, I think, Virginia and North Carolina. He's going to get to Georgia and Alabama. Um, So those schools, he hasn't even stepped foot on their campuses yet. He hasn't met the coaches in person yet. So it's hard for him to really develop uh, much of a – uh, you know, favoritism right now because he's just now getting started because of the pandemic really put things behind. One last thing. You've covered the Saints longer than anyone else in history and uh, is currently in front of us at this moment covering the Saints. And what it does for you is it gives you incredible access to a story like this. I'm sure that there are a lot of reporters that say, man, how does Jeff do this? But you have great relationships, don't you? Well, I mean, I'm fortunate that I've known the Mannings for a long time and uh, and been around them for a long time. And as you know, I mean, James Carville had a great comment the other day. He goes, you know, the Mannings aren't a, aren't a family, they're a clan. <laughs> and I think that's the truth. I mean, they're very tight-knit family, and I happen to be close to them. And they, they are not the most uh, – you have to earn their trust and respect, and rightfully so, because they understand – the media very well and they understand how things can get out of control so they're managing this as best they can and as soon as our story dropped ricky it went wild i mean they got inundated with media requests and they had to kind of shut everything down again so it's going to be this way for them for the next two or three years i think it's wise for them you know do sort of spin a story out every now and then with someone they trust and then you know say no to everybody else for a while i mean yes. otherwise it's a feeding frenzy and you you don't want to do that but you want to you know aggregation actually gives them the opportunity through the athletic first and then beyond that which links back to the athletic gives them a chance to fully inform people about what our current thinking is now and no additional story on top of that's going to change anything that was in that story we're not you know we're not all about just you know uh, aiding the feeding frenzy that's very smart when we come back we'll get the latest on the saints we're actually getting together now we're beginning to be able to draw some conclusions or, or some observations let's put it that way of uh, the early training that they're doing and uh, we'll continue the conversation with Jeff Duncan from The Athletic when we come back talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live this is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 
Welcome back to Coast View. We're having a conversation with uh, Jeff Duncan from The Athletic. And uh, let's move on over to the Saints. Um, this is the time of year they're starting to get together. They're, you're starting to be able to make some observations. Kind of explain to people what stage of the season we're at at this point. Well, this is a period of time they call the organized team activities. I think it's a dumb word. They need to come up with something better. It's basically practice, <laughs> on-field practice, uh, they, you know, mini-camp practices. Uh, but the Saints are taking a little bit of an unconventional approach to it. They're not doing any teamwork on the field. I think Sean Payton has met with the leaders on the team and kind of hashed out uh, a plan that's not going to be too taxing physically for the for the team. So they're doing on-field work individually with their coaches, but nothing like seven-on-seven seven or full teamwork. Uh, it's mainly conditioning, getting in the weight room, and meeting uh, mentally, going over the installation of the offensive and defensive game plans uh, that they'll install for the season. Uh, and they've got 100% uh, participation right now, which is obviously very good. Everyone's there, 85 players on the roster. And uh, they're, they're slowly getting their numbers up in terms of vaccinations for the COVID-19. Uh, that's a big thing, Ricky. They need to be at 85% of the roster to really meet. That's the NFL's kind of mandated goal for this coming fall camp. Right now, the Saints are about 60% of the roster. They're hoping to get up around 70%. And Peyton said uh, this week that he thinks they will get to 85% by the start of training camp, which is important because they then they can reduce some of the restrictions and limitations. So, yeah, in terms of restrictions and limitations, um, do, do you read from the NFL that they want to go full bore? Yes, I think so. I think some of the other issues that we're running into as media members is they're potentially still going to close the locker rooms. There's going to be limitations on media access. And I know uh, Lindsey Jones on our staff at the Athletics, president of the Pro Football Writers of America, she's trying to push back to get us access. If we're going to have full stadiums for fans, which is pretty much what everyone's uh, expecting, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to make much sense that we couldn't have open locker rooms. But uh, So we'll see how that availability and media access works out. But the Saints are trending in the right direction. All their coaches and their tier one scouts and personnel people have all been vaccinated. So I think they're in the top third of the league right now in, in their numbers. So is there any buzz? You got all 85 um, uh, athletes back, players back. Is there any buzz about any lingering injuries that could be important? Well, not, not necessarily injuries, but there is positive news in that everyone's there because there have been some scuttlebutt, maybe some speculation that Marshawn Lattimore might not show up or Ryan Ramchek might not show up because they are both operating on one-year deals right now. They have no long-term deals. So there was some concern that maybe neither one of them would, would show up as a stance to try and get leverage on a long-term deal. Uh, but both of them are there. So I think that's a very positive sign for the leadership of the team because both of those are key players uh, that's certainly going to be part of the core going forward. My read on that is that Ryan certainly could have used that, but I don't think that Marshawn Lattimore is in a position to do that given his potential legal problems, don't you think? No, I think you're right. and I think the other aspect of that is, uh, you know, he probably wants to be a good soldier right now to get a long-term deal, and I think that's the best approach to show Mickey Loomis, the organization, that you're being a team player, especially at that position, Ricky. We know that, I mean, Sean Payton's come out and said, uh, he's made no bones about it. They need to add and expect to add another cornerback to the roster. 
they brought in Drake Kirkpatrick and some other veteran players this week for workouts. So I expect they'll sign somebody before the start of camp. Anything new on his Lattimore situation? No, no. It's been on the quiet, on the down low. Uh, and here's the thing people need to know. Even if those charges get dropped, the league can still suspend him and discipline him if they choose for violation of the personal conduct policy. So he wouldn't be out of the woods even if they get some kind of resolution there. Wow, that's so interesting. And hopefully, I mean, he is such a key member of the team. And hopefully this, whatever transgression it was, you know, we don't know all the facts around surrounding it, but whatever it was, was a one-time event, and he'll come back and be a great soldier, whatever the, the NFL disciplinary action is. Let's just hope that's the case, because we need him. He had a good year last year, and man, do we need cornerbacks given, especially when you think about where Tampa Bay has gone and other teams are headed. Um, man, we need the best uh, defensive backs we can possibly get our hands on, don't we? Yeah, I tell you, one of the good news this week for the Saints, Julio Jones got traded out of the division, all the way over to the AFC to the Tennessee Titans. So he's less of a headache now uh, for guys like Marshawn Lattimore because he's a tremendous talent. Were you surprised to see that go down in Atlanta the way it did? No, there have been rumors that that might happen. I mean, once Terry Fontenot, of course, former Saints executive, took over, uh, he's got some salary cap issues there and trying to get that roster, uh, you know, overhauled. And with a guy making that much money at age 32, he seemed like a likely guy, and he wasn't happy there. He's, he wants to win, and he knows this is a transition period for the Falcons, so it, it kind of made a lot of sense. And, and, Jeff, if you've helped us understand, Terry Fontenot came from the system, the Saints system. He was a bright you know, future GM, and now he's landed in Atlanta. We hate that we lost him, but he comes from a disciplined system that – Julio, given his state of mind, didn't even aside from the salary cap, didn't fit into the system probably just because of his discontent and what he was expressing. So, you know, it probably was multifaceted, don't you think? Yeah, and, and look, that, that ruins your leverage if you know the player wants out. So they tried to keep that uh, under wraps for as long as they could. That's why you see a player as talented as Julio Jones only get only get traded for a second and a fourth round draft pick. I mean, this guy's a future Hall of Famer. But he's been injured lately. He's got a big price tag. So a lot of things made him a difficult trade for a lot of teams. But the Titans, I think, now, man, pair him up with Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown. They're going to be formidable. He's going to, I predict he's going to have a good season. That's what I think. Uh, Jeff Duncan, thank you for spending time with us from The Athletic. Have a great day, buddy. Thanks, Ricky. Have to take care. We'll see you next week. And we'll see you later. See you Monday. Have a great weekend. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.